Thank you for listening, and we hope this message will strengthen and help you in your walk with God. Would you say this with me today? I receive the Word of God to profit me and reproof me, convict me and instruct me to righteousness that I may become perfect and thoroughly furnished unto all good works. You just quoted 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. So, But if you have your Bibles open with me in Genesis, this is the first time that I can remember um, pastoring or even when we were singles ministers that every month of this year, God's given me a theme to teach on. And this particular theme that the Lord spoke on, uh, had me, uh, wanted me to speak on was, Adam, where are you? And as I was reviewing the word and going over the word, I saw some things here that I've seen before, but you know, it's, it's interesting that revelation can get deeper. You know, the word of God can de- get deeper. You know, you, you can really understand John three sixteen for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever shall believe upon him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But then one day it may become even a greater revelation to you, a greater understanding. Wow, God really loves me, you know, or everlasting life. I mean, you know, God wants a relationship with me. He actually wants to speak with me, you know. He actually wants to, you know, uh, be, have me in his presence, you know. And, you know, there's all kinds of neat things that can happen as you continue to read the word and how revelation just gets deeper and you get a, a better understanding. And that's the same thing true about prophecy. You know, you get a prophetic word and you, 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 you're not really sure how it's going to come to pass and how God's going to bring it to pass and you start seeing a glimpse of it and it's not like what you think. Hello, somebody. You know, we have to always be careful because we can put God in a box and this is what God wants to do. And, uh, but, you know, and all of a sudden it starts coming to pass in a different way, and all of a sudden we're seeing, you know, deeper intentions, greater intentions that God has for us in that particular, particular word, you know. And when I speak over you the favor of God, get ready, get ready, get ready. There is favor, but, but you have the favor of God, and it's just going to increase. Why is that? Because of the word that was spoken to us. There is an unprecedented outpouring of the goodness of God. That's unmeasurable. And that's God's plan for you. He has an unmeasurable benefit. He loads you daily with benefits. He wants you to experience his benefits. So have you found Genesis chapter 1? If you're new at this, it's in the beginning of the Bible. All right? So here in Genesis chapter 1, starting with verse 26, then God said, let us Make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So let's just stop there for just a minute. Notice who's speaking here. God said, let us. So who is the us? Well, I believe the us is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So God said, let us make man in our, and again, our, plural, our image, and according to our likeness. Let them be like us. We want to create them to be like us. So we are created in the image of God. We are a three-part man. We have a soul, we have a spirit, and we have a body. 
Now, when I first got saved and was starting to live for God, I thought the soul and the spirit were the same thing, but they're not. Your spirit is in the very image of God. The Word of God tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man be in Christ Jesus, he's a new creature. That means original. You're just your spirit, your conscience man. You can say it like that. They're you know, kind of parallel. They're almost the same, but sometimes not. For, but for a laity term, you could say your conscience was created, recreated in the image of God. You can trust the Spirit of God on the inside of you. That's the real man on the inside of you. And that's what it means to be born again. Your spirit is now created in the image of God. He's a new creature. Old things have passed away, and all things become new again. When you get born again and you look in the mirror, you know there's not a whole lot of change. Not on the outside, but it's what's on the inside. And then there's your soul. And your soul comprises of your mind, your will, and your emotions. And why do we say that? Because... Many times when you look up the word soul, the word mind, the will and emotions, and emotions, they all come or are derived from the same Greek or Hebrew word, which is indicating to our soul or psychic, which is another word for in the Greek, psychic. That's where we get the word psychology from, the study of the soul. And uh, it consists of the mind, the will, and the emotion. So you are created in the image of God. So God created man in his own image, verse 27. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So God created male and female. Then God blessed them, and God said, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, see, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. It to you, it shall be your food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, and there is life. I have given them every green herb for food, and it was so. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So when God said he saw, what he saw was very good, it means exceedingly the best. There's nothing better than this. You can't do any better than this. There can't be anything better than this. This is the best of best. It can't get any better than this. And isn't it interesting that, you know, God said that he's created all the herbs of the field, the, the, the plants and the trees for food, not only for uh, mankind, but also for all the beasts. So all the beasts at that time, they didn't eat. They were not carnivorous. They were all vegans. And uh, I'm sure that would make the vegan population very happy today. But nevertheless, they were all vegans. They all, even the beasts of the field, ate grass or, you know, of the trees or the fruit of the trees or the fruit of the bushes. No one, none of them ate, you know, a flesh at that particular time. And so when the earth was made, as you read it, what you'll find out is that God separated the waters from the waters. And many times we, from the waters, he pulled water out of water and surrounded the earth with a sphere of water. 
And, we, and, and the reason we believe that is because what was actually found out by our archaeologists, some of the things that grew before the flood ever existed, and that is that they found fern trees or fern bushes that were as large as trees are today. They found dragonflies with wings that had three-foot wingspans. You know, why is it that certain reptiles or dinosaurs could fly? Well, it was a different type of atmosphere. It was a denser atmosphere. It was easier to fly in a denser atmosphere. And so reptiles could fly, and it was easier for these, you know, trochodocalus or whatever they're called. I don't know all the dinosaurs' names, but for them to fly. And also the DNA was probably changed because when they you know, uh, reproduce, their DNA was lined up a little differently, allowing them. A lot of the reptiles that we have today, many scholars, uh, especially biblical scholars and creationism, creationists, believe that those are actually small dinosaurs. They think that they might be able to reproduce and become large dinosaurs. I'm okay with them being small. I don't know about you, but, you know, I don't want to run across a, a bronchosaurus or whatever it is, you know, on the highway here soon. You know, I'm okay that they, they don't bring them back. But nevertheless, it was during that time, and the flood didn't happen. There was no rain until the flood happened. And so the sphere is around the earth like a terrarium, and so things grew differently. Water just kind of came up in the atmosphere and fell back down and was a lot more humid, and, uh, you know, there wasn't as much UV lights coming in, and there was a different atmosphere. In fact, some creation scholars believe that the atmosphere was more pink, and science have learned that a pink atmosphere will cause people to have more of soothingness in their own emotions. They take hardened criminals and put them in pink rooms to help them calm down. That pink has a soothing effect on people's own emotions, and so the atmosphere was more pinkish than it is today, like it is blue and, and uh, uh, the, the type of atmosphere we have today. So moving on here, I just wanted to explain to you what God had created for man. It was just a beautiful, wonderful paradise. He didn't have to really work for anything. You know, all he had to do was just kind of, you know, stroll through the Garden of Eden and, and eat of the fruit. And, and in fact, uh, one other thing I left out was this, and that is that scientists have taken some plants and had them reproduce under two atmosphere pressure, and they took uh, the tomato and a tomato grew into a tree, and they found out that the tomato doesn't even rot. It just stays ripened on the vine all the time. And so can you imagine that type of atmosphere where you're just walking through, you know, and there's no ticks, there's no fleas, isn't that wonderful? Or if they are, they're not biting you, you know, and you can just get a fresh tomato or a fresh apple or a fresh cucumber or a fresh whatever you want all around you, and that's the way God created it. It couldn't get any better than that. And eating that fruit was like eating your favorite T-bone steak cooked the way you wanted it. You know, actually it says it was like meat for your food. You know, you didn't have any desire for what we have desire for today. I mean, it was like the best seafood ever prepared. I need to quit and, and move on with my message or we'll all get hungry and have to go to the restaurant afterwards. But nevertheless, it was absolutely wonderful. It didn't get any better. You know, you didn't have to cook. You didn't have to wash dishes. You didn't have to vacuum. You didn't have to build a house. You didn't have to drive a car. It was just an amazing place. Everything that you could ever, ever want was right there at your disposal. And this is what God created for mankind. So moving on here in Genesis chapter 2, 
This is the history of heavens and the earth, and when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, before any plant of the field was in the earth, before any herb of the field had grown, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. But a mist went up from the whole earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being, a living being. Now, when God said, light be, light was, or light kept on being, it kept on being what it was designed to do. And, you know, it's kind of hard to define the word being, but what it means is a continuation of what you were meant to be. How does that sound? That work for you? So what were you meant to be? And when God created man or Adam, and the word man here in Genesis, you know, comes from the same word as Adam. So God didn't call man Adam by name. He called Adam by his, his uh, uh, creation. You're man. He called Adam and Eve Adam. They were man, mankind. And he created them to continue to be in that way he created them, a living being, to continue on to be what he created them to be. So they were living beings. And so the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And my wife did a study on this, so I'm going to take her word at it. But she found out that the Garden of Eden was approximately about the size of the state of California. So, I mean, can you imagine you know, just everywhere you went, fruit everywhere. I mean, just wonderful place. I mean, absolutely perfect climate. Ladies, it never got too cold, and men, it never got too hot. What a wonderful paradise. That would be paradise in our house. How about you? You know, what a great place, you know. And uh, it was just absolutely awesome. And out of the ground, the Lord God made every tree to grow that is pleasant to sight and, to, and good for the food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's what I want you to underline. That's where we're going to go this evening. I'm going to continue to teach on, you know, Adam, where are you? Why is this so important? Well, because... We know God spoke to Adam, Adam and Eve. We know he spoke to them and said, now of all the trees you can eat except for the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So let's look at this. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend it and to keep it. There wasn't much tending and keeping, was there? I mean, really, as we read the story here, we'll find out the only thing he really needed to do was keep the devil out. Then the Lord took the man and put him in a garden to tend and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day uh, that you eat it, you shall surely die. You shall surely die. So, you know, God put this tree somewhere. We, 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 you know, have the idea that was right in the middle, in the midst of the garden, right in the middle. You know, and I would have never gone to the middle of the garden. And I would have hung around the coast, done some surfing or something like that. But not, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even put myself in a position to even come close to, you know, to being around it. You know, why, why, why should you tempt yourself, you know, in that particular situation? 
Well, here in Genesis chapter 3, we see where the fall of man came in. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? All right, so now he's starting to put doubt in her, isn't he? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of tree of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Well, God didn't tell them not to touch it, but that's a good thing. You know, if you don't want to disobey God, then don't touch the things that would cause you to disobey God. I think that's a good philosophy. Then the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eye, she made a fruit salad and gave it to her husband. And the tree was desirable to make one wise. She, she took the fruit of it and ate. She also to her husband with her, and he ate. And the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And then they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God among the trees of the garden. And then God called to Adam and said, where are you? Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So, so you were naked. What, what, what's the problem with that? Well, we're going to talk about that in just a moment. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten the tree of which I commanded that you should not eat of? So God said this, where are you? Who have you been listening to? And what have you done? Where are you? Who have you been listening to? And what have you done? Then the man said, and, or, and he said, who told you you were naked? And have you eaten of the tree which I commanded that you should not eat of? And the man said, well, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me the, of the tree, and I ate it. And the Lord said to the woman, what is it that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord said to the serpent, because you've done this, you are cursed more than cattle, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I'll put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Where was this at? The garden. Where did Jesus bruise the head, uh, the head of, the, uh, of the devil? In the garden. Isn't that something? What, was, what happened to Jesus after he was... Uh, uh, betrayed in the garden. He was stripped naked and put on the cross. And so, you know, you can see the correlation here. The very thing that the Adam and Eve were ashamed of, Jesus went through to deliver them of that shame. And so Jesus did this in the garden. This happened in the garden. Okay? So moving on here, verse 22. Then the Lord said, Behold, the man has become like one of us. This is what came out at me when I was studying this. I had really, I've read this many times, and this is like I said, you know, Scripture becomes deeper and gives you a better knowledge. And the Lord said, behold, the man has become like one of us. So I had to stop and really look at this and, 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 and dive in this until a little deeper. What do you mean, God? I thought you created him in your image. Well, they become like us. Well, how'd they become like you? To know good and evil. 
And now lest he put his hand and take also the tree of life and eat it and live forever. Therefore God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out and he placed a cherubim at the east garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. So God sent man out of the garden not to punish him but because of the mercy of God. He said unless he eat of the tree of life. Well, if he would have eaten of the tree of life, he would have been living in a state of sin perpetually. So God removed him from the garden so he wouldn't be tempted to eat of the tree of life and live forever. Now, God said, you shall surely die. Did he die? No, not right away. But he eventually died, didn't he? Okay? And then, he, and then God said, you know, we need to do something because man has become like one of us to know good and evil. What does that mean? Well, I really believe what that means is that God said, I have a standard here. And as long as you live according to my standards, everything's going to be great. But for man to know good and evil, basically what he's saying is that, no, I'm not going to live by your standards, God. I'm going to live by my standards. And I'm going to determine that my standards are good and evil, not your standards, but I'm going, to, I'm going to set the standards from now on. And that's what it really means there. It really means that man decided that he was going to set the standards for himself. Now, the problem is that every time man sets standards for themselves is that, you know, that, the, the, that, that ends up causing mankind to de become demoralized. They don't ever live up to their own expectations. In order for all of us to be inclusive, I mean, after all, we have to love everybody, isn't that right? And for some people, love means accept their lifestyle. Isn't that correct? You know, and therefore, you're not including everybody thing in order that he was the inclusive. And that's what happened, is man decided that he was going to determine what is good and what is evil. He's going to live by his own standards. And it only took seven generations for God to say, this is so bad. <laughs> because every man was doing what was right in his own sight. And apparently it was wrong in the sight of God. God got to the point after seven generations, I believe it was seven generations, that you know, Noah came into the scene. And God had to completely wipe mankind out and start all over again. Only seven generations. It only took seven generations because man decided to do his own thing. You know, and so here again, we see that man set his own standards, and those standards caused the fall of man. Did they eventually all die? Yes, they all died. And so when we talk about standards, we have standards that are called basically measurements that we try to live up to. And so the Lord gave me this illustrated message this last Sunday. Some of you weren't here, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share it again. But uh, how many of you have an opinion and would take a guess of how far or what would be the measurement of this stage, this following this whole circumference from that corner all the way over to that corner. Okay, give me somebody, somebody give me your opinion. What is your opinion? Not everybody here was here. So, okay, so, all right. So, who wasn't here Sunday? Okay, what would you get? Huh? 30 feet, okay. Who else wasn't here? 75 feet. All right, anybody else that wasn't here Sunday? Okay, all right, a few other opinions. All right, we got several opinions like we did here. 
So everybody has an opinion, you know. Well, it looks like to me it could be 30 feet. Well, it could look like to somebody else it's 75 feet. To somebody else it's, it's uh, 49 feet. To somebody else it's, you know, uh, uh, 38 feet. Well, let's just find out. And we're going to use this standard of measurement, okay? And I know it's accurate because this tape measure said it was made in the USA. <laughs> so I know that, okay? So... We did this this Sunday, and so for sake of time, I won't do it tonight. So we measured from here all the way over here, and it was 45 feet and 5 inches. Isn't that right? Okay, we all believe that, right, according to this, right? So if I was a contractor and you wanted me to build a house, would you want me to build your house if it was a 40 by 60 according to this standard? Absolutely you would. But what if I came to you and said, no, no, I got my own standard. Here's, here, here's my standard. This is my standard right here. Actually, it's only 15 feet long. It's a rope that's only 15 feet long. You, you can measure with rope, you know. So this, this, this rope is 15 feet, but according to my standard, it's 20 feet. Okay? That's my standards, you know. Do you want me to build you a house according to my standards with this rope? No. You know, and I figured it out, and one of the guys came and said that I did my addition wrong or my multiplication wrong or whatever, but, you know, I, I'm not sure how far off I am. But bottom line is that if I were to build you a house according to my standards or this rope and not according to the tape measure standards, I'd be cheating you out of 150 or 200 square feet of home. And according to today's standards, that's twenty-five dollars to $35,000 a year. Or somebody said maybe $150,000. How many of you want me to build you a house according to my standards? You don't want that, okay? Well, this is what happens so many times when we don't live according to God's standards. We're not cheating God. We're cheating ourselves. That's what we do. We, we, we cheat ourselves when we don't live according to God's standards. In the book of Isaiah, uh, verse 59, it says, So they who fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rise of the sun, when the enemy comes in, like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise a standard against him. I like that. Now, in some translation, there's a comma after a flood, when the enemy comes in like a flood. Well, you know, I don't know how the enemy can come in like a flood. He doesn't have any water where he comes from. Think about it. You know, he doesn't have access to, to come in like a flood. So when the enemy comes in like a flood, God will raise the standard against him. I mean, the devil's nothing to God. You know, maybe an annoyance, you know. My wife and I sometimes will tease and she'll haul off and hit me and I'll go, is there a fly around here somewhere? <laughs> you know, that's just an annoyance to me because she's so little and I'm so big, you know, and I tease her about those things, you know. You know, the devil's nothing to God. You know, I mean, I mean, when God shows up, you know, the devil has to flee. He has no power. He has no authority. You know, that's why the Bible says in James chapter 4, verse 7, submit to God and resist the devil and he shall flee. See, the truth is, real spiritual authority is not about casting out devils, even though sometimes we have to do that. But it's really not about taking authority over the enemy. It's about submitting ourselves to God. Saying, now, you know, I'm going to live to your standards. And when we live to his standards, guess what? We get to walk in his benefits. 
So as I continue on this evening, and you'll probably hear me say it, uh, share it again this Sunday, you know, in, in, in a little deeper way, but I'm going to begin to share just a little bit tonight and just share on the benefits of living according to his standards. Would that be okay? All right, let's go to Psalms 1. You know, I was, I was sharing, I was at the student union uh, uh, just uh, trying to help recruit students to become a part of uh, Christians United for Israel on campus. And so this young student came up to me to begin to challenge me about Israel. And uh, he asked a question. I said, before I answer that, I said, let me ask you something. I said, what standards do you live by? He looked at me. I said, well, my standards are according to the word of God, so that's how I'm going to answer this. He had nothing to say. My standards are according to the word. You know, I support Israel because of what the Bible says, not because of what, you know, political ignorant people think. I support Israel. I do what God says because what the Bible says. That's my standards. You know, and when people begin to challenge you, that's a real good question to ask them. What are your standards? And then I ask them this question. You know, he's 20, 21 years old. I don't know how old, but probably that age. And I got real tickled out of his answer. I said, and how long did it take you to get this mindset? He goes, I've been working on this for years. <laughs> I thought, Interesting interesting, you know, as I was listening to his philosophy about life. But, you know, my standard's the Word of God. I don't have to have a philosophy on life. God's already got a philosophy for my life. I don't have to come up with anything. God's already come up something for me, which is much better than I would come up for myself. Psalms chapter 1, have you found it? Blessed is a man. How many of you want to be that man? Blessed is a dom. Blessed is man, Blessed is man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Oh, Sounds like to me that God's saying, you know what? Don't listen to their standards. <laughs> listen to my standards. Why? Because you'll be blessed. Nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but he delights in the law of the Lord, and, he, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in the season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper." How many of you know that God created Adam and Eve or mankind that everything that they did would prosper? Isn't that something? As long as they lived according to his standards, everything that man did prospered. But as soon as they decided to set their own standards, what happened to them? They began to die. That's when destruction came in. That's when you know, sickness came in. That's when disease came in. That's when everything else came in. It was when man decided, no, I'm not going to live by your standards. I'm going to live by my own standards. I'm going to decide what standards I should live by. And so the Word of God says, Blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the uh, path of, uh, of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law he meditates day and night. Isn't that something Jesus said, that one of the greatest commandments, and these two commandments, you fulfill all the commandments of God. Love God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love thy neighbor as yourself. And he said, if you'll do these two commandments, you'll fulfill the rest. Well, that's not too difficult. I think uh, the Jewish law requires Jews to follow over 400 laws. 400 laws. 
You know, I'm doing good to even have the Ten Commandments memorized. You know, but you know, but these two commandments, love God. Okay, so let, let, let's think about this. I talked about this a little earlier, and it said that, you know, God said, let us create man in our image and in our likeness, and that correct, correct? And we realize that we're a spirit being that has a soul and we live in a body. Isn't that right? Our souls are minor willing our emotions. So why did Jesus say, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? If mind and soul are basically the same thing. Well, I believe he said that because what he was saying was not just mind, but have a mindset. This should be your mindset. Your mindset should be, what does God want me to do? How does God want me to live? What standards does God want me to live by? You know, God has never asked you to live, a, uh, a live by a standard that he has created that's going to harm you. Never, never, never. He's never asked you to live according to a standard that he has that will ever hurt you or even take away from you. Isn't that something? But you know, when we begin to get into our own mind, the counsel of man's standards, how man would operate, you know what? We find ourselves defending ourselves when someone takes something from us or someone does harm to us. We find ourselves in a place where we, we have to defend ourselves. You know, but if we live according to God's standards, we don't have to defend ourselves. God will defend us. God will repay. The Bible says, I'll, you, you don't have to repay evil for evil. I'll repay you. I've told this story before, but it's always worth bearing repeating again. But my son, you know, he had this skateboard, a nice skateboard that we got for him. And we had a family staying with us. And we went on vacation, went out for a while or whatever. And she had her son there. And, you know, it's just you know, boys and, 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 you know, yeah, you can use my son's skateboard, bicycle, whatever. You know, we're just kind of open that way. And, and so anyway, uh, her son borrowed my son's skateboard and went to the store. And he didn't want to take the skateboard inside the store. And so he hid it underneath a bush and went into the store. When he came back out, it was gone. No big deal. I just went out and bought my son another skateboard. Not a big deal. You know, we weren't bent out of shape that this skate, skateboard got stolen. You know, we just went out and bought him. In fact, you know, God gave me a supernatural deal because why? The favor of God's on my life. I don't apologize for that. You know, but the favor of God's on my life. And Jason ended up with a better and a brand new skateboard. You know, why? Because we live according to God's standard. If I can do that for my son, how much more will God do for you? That's what God wants you to understand. He's got this. If you really live by his standards, guess what? You shall be blessed. And not only that, but everything that you put your hands to shall prosper. Verse 4 says, the ungodly are not so, but they're like chaff, which the wind drives away. This is what you really need to focus on when it comes to the ungodly. They come and they go. They come and they go. Don't worry about the ungodliness that's going on in the nation today. They're going to be driven away like chaff is driven by the wind. They're just a bunch of hot air. See, we are called to be the salt and the light of this world. And as long as we're here, we're preserving 
the godliness of our nation. I'm not saying don't pray. Yes, I think it's important to pray. I think it's important to, to live a godly standard. And, you know, I just want to let you know, just like it was with Elijah when he went to the Lord and said, Lord, you know, I'm the only one left. And the Lord said, no, I got 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. Amen. You're not the only one. You need to really meditate on this. The ungodly aren't so. In other words, they're not going to be established. Say established with me. I mean, chaff that's driven like the wind. You know, they're going to come and they're going to go. But God's word will never fail. Go with me to Isaiah 61, and I'll close here, and we'll expound a little bit more on this on, on Sunday morning. Because, you know, I found out that living God's way is the best way. You know, it doesn't cost to pay, uh, live for God. It pays to live for God. Amen? All right, Isaiah, and I happen to turn the Psalms, so let me get to Isaiah 61. And we'll try to wrap this up for this evening. Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord, starting with verse 1, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the broken heart, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of God, to comfort all who are mourned, to console those who are mourning Zion, to give beauty for ashes, to oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Psalms 1, you know, Blessed are those who stay, you know, stay planted. Blessed are those who, who let, me, let me go there. I'm not quoting it quite right. Give me just a second here. Blessed is a man who uh, walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of the sinner, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the Lord. He shall be like a tree planted. They shall be called the planting of the Lord. You know, one of the things that, you know, God wants us to do, he wants us to continue to be steadfast in our faith and trusting him. But pastor, it's so bad. You know, this is going on and that's going on. Listen, I understand. You know, I understand all the negative things that are going on. But I also know that God's going to raise a standard against the enemy. And you know what? I'm part of that standard. I'm going to be used of the Lord to raise that standard against the enemy. Because I have desired to, I desire to live according to his standards. And so this is a result of those who will hold steady, who will be steadfast, will be like the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. This is how he will be glorified. For those who will live according to his standards, these are the benefits. They shall rebuild the old ruins. They shall raise up the former desolate, desolations, they shall repair the ruined cities and the desolation of many generations. So the King James says they shall rebuild the old ruins. Okay, that word means they shall establish or reestablish God's standards. Glory to God. What do I need to do to reestablish God's standards? Just hold steady. Just keep trusting God. Be steadfast in your faith. Don't waver. Don't give up. Because the ungodly, they're like chaff who's driven by the wind. They come, they go. But we shall rebuild the old ruins. Well, what's going on in our society today? We're on the verge of overturning Roe versus Wade. 
Praise God. Isn't that awesome? What are we doing? Rebuilding. Reestablishing. You know, unfortunately, we let this slip through our hands. We let some other things slip through our hands. But things are changing. We're reestablishing for those who are holding steady and living according to the standards of the Lord. You know, we shall build. Jesus said this, and I think this is so something, so, so interesting. He said this in Luke chapter uh, 6, verse 46. He said, you know, he said, when you hearken unto the voice or you hearken unto the word of God, it's like the man who builds his house on a rock. But if you don't hearken, it's like the man who builds his house on sand. He says, when the flood comes, not if, when the flood comes, you know, the, uh, the devastation is just major, you know. But the man who builds his house, or I could say it this way, the man who says my standards are God's standards, he shall stand against all things. He'll build, he will rebuild, he will reestablish. They shall raise up the former generation. This is so awesome. The raise up, that word means to arise and to become powerful again. Listen, we may not have been powerful in the past, but we are becoming powerful again. I've often said it like this. The church should be the one who sets the standards for society, not society sets the standards for church. We ought to be the ones who are making the difference in our nation. Repair. We're going to repair the, uh, uh, the ruined cities. That means to rebuild and to uh, restore back to its original purpose. And I believe this. I believe that this church is going to have a part in restoring the city of the dove called Columbia, Missouri. So it goes on, and this is, this is so powerful. Strangers shall stand and feed your flocks, and the sons of the foreigners shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers, but you shall be named the priest of the Lord. You know, I'll never forget one time, you know, uh, something needed to be done, and, and I probably needed to spend more time in prayer or in the Word. But I made this comment, well, if I don't do it, it won't get done. You know, come on, men, help me. You know, feel that way sometimes. You know, if I don't do it, it won't get done. You know what this is saying? If you'll abide by God's standards and you live according to the way he wants you to live, if you need to get something done, he'll send somebody to get it done for you. Wow. He'll send somebody to get it done for you. We can trust the Lord. Hello, somebody. Now, I'm not giving you a license to live a slothful life and become a couch potato, okay? But you know what? If you are out doing God's business, God will make sure that he gets your business taken care of. Somebody ought to shout about that. Isn't that awesome? That's what that means. You shall be named the priest of the Lord. You shall call the, be called the servants of God. You shall eat the riches of the Gentile, and in their glory you shall boast. And instead of your shame, you shall have double honor. Instead of confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess the double and everlasting joy shall be theirs. I'm going to end with this thought for you to think about because justice is a term being used. Social justice is being used quite a bit in our society today. But you know God loves justice. That's what it says. 
For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery for burnt offerings. I direct their work in truth. I will make with them an everlasting covenant. God loves justice. You know something the Lord showed me as I was preparing this? Remind yourself, God loves justice. But God's justice is not always what we think justice should be. You know, something that I got free of, and it's just been powerful for me, so freeing. I really don't care what other people say about me, do to me, think about me. That's on them. What's important is what I do, not what other people do. That's what's important. What's very important is what I do, not what other people do, whether it's negative or positive. You know, that's, that's irrelevant. But what's important is what I do. And that has made me so freeing. Someone said, well, you know, somebody, didn't, somebody said something about you, Pastor, and that wasn't very nice. That's on them. That's their problems, not mine. Of course, if they really knew me, they wouldn't say anything ugly about me anyway. Isn't that true? No, but let God do the justifying. We're all trying to figure out how to justify society. Why don't we just come in as one mankind and go to him and say, God, we have messed this thing up according to our standards. According to our standards, we don't even know what justice is. I believe that. And let God turn around, turn things around that needs to be turn around. Let God pour out his glory back into our lives, into our world. And let's see what God can do with our lives when we say, I'm going to live according to his standards. Thank you for listening today. We believe God's word is what will sustain us in any situation in our lives. For more information, please visit us at familywc.org or you can download the app. Look for us as FWC Como. Until the next time, remember, you are God's best.